Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka Podcast. I'm not going to do much of an intro today because I want to jump right into my interview with my guest. As you guys know, I've been traveling across the country the last week, and on my way through Washington, I stopped in my guest's hometown and we were able to record this episode, which I'm super excited to share. So without further ado, here is our conversation. Hi, welcome to my podcast. Hello. This is still so surreal to me. Yeah. First of all, this is Madison. Yes, it is. I think we should talk about how we met before we jump into this because yeah. it's like a crazy story. Um, how long ago was it? Yeah, I was trying to figure that out because was it Flickr first? It was Flickr. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to like get the timeline also in my head because Flickr, I mean, I probably was like 14. Yeah, I, I want to say like 14, well, how old are you 15? now, by the way? I'm 25. Okay, I'm 26. So, yeah, 15, I want to say, was when I started being really active on Flickr yeah. and posting really angsty stuff. And yes. We, for those who don't know, Flickr is a photo sharing website, and a lot of us back then used it as like a photo journal. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever do the 365 challenge? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. that was a huge part of it, was seeing other people doing, like, photo everyday challenges, but then also, yeah, photo journaling, essentially, and yeah. being like, I have a place where I can do this? Great, I will jump in on that. And it was a lot before a lot of social media really even existed in the oh, way yeah. that it does now. I mean, there, of course, wasn't Instagram, so there wasn't, like, that culture of people kind of, like, saying everything on their mind all the time, and then also posting yeah. photos. <laughs> But especially for me, I was super isolated and nerdy, and I didn't really have friends, and so mm-hmm. that's, I didn't really have any hobbies before, like photography, and so yeah. I loved just being able to share stuff on there and yeah. being honest and seeing that I wasn't alone. Yeah. So I met Madison on there. We both posted like the same type of stuff, mm-hmm. and we I think we messaged each other at one point. Yeah. I wish I could find that stuff. I actually get emails randomly from Flickr sometimes, and I'm like, how do Me they too. still have my email? Like, I, I don't think have they my just login. sent out a message where they're getting rid of all the old content unless you pay. Uh, so Well, goodbye. And they gave me like two months in advance to save all my stuff, and I was like, uh, I yeah, don't know. I'm good. It's like 10 years. I don't really think I need to have that now. So yeah, we've known each other like forever, but we never really... We friended each other on Facebook a little while mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. And we've been keeping up with each other over the years. Yeah. Like, And you've been on a crazy, insane journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so why don't we talk about that? Where do you want to start? Where do I want to start? Yeah. Oh, boy. I don't even know. Well, how would you describe your history with mental health, first of all? Yeah. Woo! Fun. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think as a kid, I was also, like, pretty isolated. My parents were very nice, (laughs) but very detached. So, a lot of, like, looking back into my childhood, it's like, there's not a lot happening, I feel like, um, that I can point to and be like, oh, that was not great, or that was great. It just kind of was, like, there, and things were just kind of, like, happening or not, and just kind of, like, playing catch-up a lot. So, for me, I always kind of felt like something was gonna happen or I didn't really know what was going on and kind of catching up with that all the time not really having the most communicative family unit um and I have one older sister and we've always been really close but we also have been very close but also never really like talked about anything (laughs) we've just started doing that um in the way how it works yeah in life yeah super interesting so there was kind of a lot of that just kind of living in the same space and not really acknowledging the same things and so 
Yeah, I was really anxious and overwhelmed from like a really young age. Um, didn't really know like where to put that or how to deal with that or how to communicate about that. And was like lovingly dismissed by most kind of older people in my life. Lovingly uh, dismissed. <laughs> in the way that's like, everyone has troubles, you know, like one of those things. Like no one was saying like, suck it up kid or something. And how old were you? I want to say probably like second and third grade was it like young was okay. when I first started feeling like this seems a little bit more than like what my peers are experiencing but then also being like very self-aware as a third, second and third grader and thinking like well maybe this is what everyone is experiencing and like we're all just not talking about it yeah and to a certain extent of course there's a, a large majority of people who are experiencing similar things but I probably about in about fourth grade it kind of really was like this is unbearable and I was just like kind of always having meltdowns and like just not being able to like regulate and deal with my life and being very overwhelmed kind of what would a meltdown look like for you just kind of like all of my emotions spilling over I never was very mad as a kid so it was more just like sad and upset and frustrated um and just like lots of crying lots of lots of that but definitely, like, only when I got home or, like, only mm. when, like, I could go to the bathroom and, like, hide or something. So it was very much, like, in isolation and very much, like, no, like, I knew somehow, like, don't do this around people. Like, that's bad, which isn't true. So but, no one yeah. really knew you were going through this, even your parents and your sister? Like, you just hid it from them? Yeah, it just seemed like that was what you should do, you know? You just kind of, like, do your life, you cope however you do in privately, <laughs> in private, so that when you're in public, you're, like good and polite and you know people like you or whatever so I think we both know that never ends well (laughs) (laughs) no so when did like everything kind of explode for you I think probably seventh grade was kind of the real like head of the (laughs) the climax of the mountain I don't know the metaphors (laughs) I'm trying to use um it was really kind of the moment where it was really unbearable and I started having suicidal thoughts in like fifth grade um very like passively I wasn't making attempts but I wrote about it a lot thought about it a lot and realizing more and more like oh yeah I guess like 10 year olds aren't all doing that like that's not necessarily like healthy (laughs) um it's not bad of course to have just to have suicidal thoughts like as like a concept but yeah well would you explain like the concept of suicidal ideation to someone who might not really because i know suicide is a very taboo topic yeah and most people when you mention suicide they instantly go into like protection mode like we need to get you to a safe place but for many of us it's just something we think about every day yeah and i think that is really hard i mean i've even had doctors who haven't understood that and have had very um, non-ideal situations that have come out of things like that Um, as someone who has experienced thoughts since I was really young and how it has been kind of normal, I feel like the main thing to like distinguish is if it is like passive or active, like having suicidal thoughts just on their own and like it's a thought, it's distressing, it's not a positive thought of course, but if the thought is leading you towards action, that's a whole separate thing. So if you're just having thoughts, just like anything that could be completely benign, you can deal with that, cope with that do what you will with that to make that more healthy but if you have plans if you're going towards those plans like that's when it's like okay we need to like get some things in play and that is really complicated I think for people to understand and figure out if someone's talking about it so it's tricky so as a 10 year old would you say you were experiencing the passive thoughts yeah 
And, yeah. But still, how do you explain that to your parents? Yeah, exactly. And I just didn't. <laughs> so what happened? I mean, I just internalized everything a lot. Started engaging in self-injurious behaviors also around that time, um, which I think makes a lot of sense because I was internalizing everything. <laughs> it's a natural progression. Yeah, again, like these things that I'm like, well, that makes sense. So that kind of also happened around that time. Um, lots more kind of like repetitive behaviors and things where I was just trying to like make sense of how much turmoil I felt like I had and how I had no way to communicate it and when I did if I did kind of get up the courage again it was kind of like lovingly dismissed like you know I was talking to so-and-so's mom and she's having a hard time too and just being like okay well great yeah and it was like well-intentioned like I very much feel like my parents both were not very emotionally equipped in in that sense when we were younger to kind of like help us along those things like that was what they knew best to do was just like make you feel not alone but instead it felt very dismissive so I even like in fifth grade like went to the school counselor on my own accord and was like I need to talk to you (laughs) like little 10 year old me was like something is wrong that's cool that you just did that on your own yeah I don't know a lot of adults that can do that (laughs) let alone 10 year olds yeah, I definitely was wanting help in some way and kept kind of running into like not having that really at home. So that was certainly like a thing that existed. So after that, how did things progress? Yeah, so sixth, seventh, um, it just kind of kept kind of getting worse. Um, but then you add in middle school, <laughs> which I think no one really has good middle school experiences. No. Um, everyone is mean and um, kind of awful. And I went to a small school where you where you pretty much knew everyone. Our middle school was sixth, seventh, and eighth. So there wasn't a lot of ability to kind of like hide or go under the radar. Like you pretty much were going to be seen, and if you were going to be targeted, you were going to be targeted. So I was targeted, <laughs> um, not in a terrible extreme ways, but um, in just like kind of malicious girl drama kind of ways as a person who just like wanted to just do school and like... Yeah, I imagine that, going yeah. to school and wanting to just do school. Yeah, I very much was that kid that was like, I just want to try hard. And people were like, I don't know, apparently that made me terrible or something. I'm not exactly sure what their motivation was. So I had a few people that kind of like turned on me in, in you know, 12 year old girl ways um, that were just very hurtful and felt very, very awful. So what I already had kind of coming into those grades, all the kind of turmoil I already was holding on to, it just kind of kept getting more and more exacerbated by the environment that I was in where I like didn't really feel safe, didn't really feel good. Um, I had like one friend pretty much and then for the most part everyone else not like everyone was coming after me but the rest of it wasn't very positive so it kind of was like yeah I'm really done with this there's nothing good about being here I still had lots of suicidal thoughts wasn't having any plans or anything at that point still but more and more it was just like I don't think there's a reason why I'm like supposed to be doing this like this is just awful and were you getting treatment at the time no like for counseling or anything Mm-mm. no yeah so I went to that school counselor in fifth grade for like two seconds <laughs> basically right before I was moving on to middle school and um, she gave me this beautiful journal and, you know, wished me well. And that was kind of Aww. it. And then that was kind of it. Like, yeah. I didn't. It just was like, okay, well. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess I'm just going to figure this out. And I think probably seventh grade, eighth grade was kind of when the internet did start coming into play as well. So I first, like, found this dance forum. I grew up dancing. So I found this dance forum that I connected with all these people and started to feel not alone for the first time in my life. Because nice. there's people that 
cared about me in very intentional ways, but also were experiencing similar things. So I didn't just feel like I was just weird and dramatic and like, I can't figure this out. I always just felt like it was my fault. Like, I can't figure it out. Yeah. I'm doing something wrong. I don't have the right formula to not be a mess. <laughs> I can't even imagine having, you know, mental illnesses before the internet yeah. was a thing. It's super interesting because I think a lot of culture now is very much like, oh, social media is so negative and everyone's comparing. And of course, it can be very negative. Yeah. But the ways that I've always experienced it, I was like, it's like the most liberating place where I was like, oh, there's other people in the world who like are also hurt and are willing to talk about that and are willing to sort through that and are doing work to be better. And so like kind of understanding like, oh, I could go to therapy or oh, I could like get help was like a new thing. Like it just wasn't ever... For sure. I didn't know that was really real. So So you discovered these communities and did it make things, I mean, obviously it made things better. Yeah. It helped me make sense of a lot of things kind of initially. And I think I kind of rode that wave of like, wow, I'm not alone for probably like a year. A lot of my symptoms kind of felt a lot better because I really did feel like I wasn't just this isolated person who just, yeah, yeah, was just bad at being a human. And there was, yeah, a little buffer of about, probably about a year where I was like, wow, I feel a lot better. And then that kind of wore off slowly but surely (laughs) where everything that still was existing still existed. And I wasn't just like living this like little euphoria of internet love and affection. I was like, well, that's certainly nice, but. Yeah, that's the thing about these online communities is that you're, it's like the blind leading the blind Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. It's great to not feel alone, but you can only do so much. Yeah. Like, I can talk to someone on the other side of the world and offer my love and support, but when it comes down to it, I'm not equipped to handle their issues like a licensed counselor could. Yeah, and I think that definitely, like, I was on a forum that was, like, all around, like, self-injury support, and that was, like, the thing that everyone constantly were were really really adamant about we are only going to be encouraging people to get outside help like we're we're here for each other but like we're not therapists we're not counselors we're not qualified credentialed people and peer support is really great but also like you need to go get help so I had people for like months and months basically anytime I would post or say anything they were like are you in therapy <laughs> I'd be like no what are you, like leave me alone what are you talking about See, like, all the that's... places like that that I found were like triggering yeah let's see i feel like i the, i mean I, not to distract from your story but there are a lot of communities out there that can just kind of suck you deeper into the hole yeah and i'm glad that you found that kind of community so did you get therapy eventually mm-hmm. yeah so i think that was probably around my sophomore year where i like wrote a letter to my mom <laughs> i yeah so a lot of things happened in our family and i was living with my mom and my sister at this point and yeah i wrote a letter to her basically being like i feel stressed with school because like I didn't know what to say and again always like being lovingly dismissed by her I was like I don't know what's going to like seem legitimate to her or seem like like I I didn't think she was gonna say like no straight out but I also wanted to make it I didn't want to be like hey I've been self-injuring for five years and you didn't know you know I just I couldn't figure out what was like the middle ground of like something that was good but not too good but not too bad yeah exactly kind of easing into it so yeah I wrote her a letter and was like I'm stressed out with school and my friends or something like that and she had some you know knowledge of me like having difficulty but I don't really know what her perception of that was so she did say yes and I ended up going to a counselor and started seeing someone I think it was about my sophomore year probably like my end of my sophomore year how what was that counselor like um (laughs) (laughs) um interesting 
I actually ended up seeing him on and off for quite a long time. I actually just stopped earlier in this year. Oh, wow. Like, for, like, the eighth time. Like, because I've moved away, right. you know, I've come back, so there's been all sorts of things kind of in between. Yeah. But it was my first experience, so I had nothing to really compare it to. So, I mean, it's been a whole lifetime, 15 years, um... Like, not talking about stuff and being really good at being covert. And then right. was like, yeah, therapy, okay. And then went into therapy and was like, what? <laughs> I, like, legitimately don't know how to do this. I really don't. And so at first it was a lot of me just, like, if I was talking, talking about music or, like, photography. Like, things I was into, like, hobbies. Yeah. And then that was kind of it. And then me leaving and being like, is this therapy? Like, what am I supposed to feel better? Or, like, what's going on? And I mean, talking about those things is great. It is valuable. I definitely... At some point, you gotta get deep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so, always fun. Yeah, we felt... I think both of us, I mean, him as a therapist and me as a client, I think both kind of fell into a trap of it being a little too just, like, casual small talk all the time. And oh, my God. I just got out of a therapy seeing a therapist like that yeah and it was really interesting because I would have all sorts of weird guilt about not being like oh it's my fault like I'm not bringing it up but then I'd be like well he's not asking and then it would just like be back and forth yeah, like this circle his job to like guide the conversation yeah you know? and it was again like being young 15 16 you know it's like I don't, I don't know how to like, do that I don't know how to do that I barely know how to do that now let alone as yeah 15 year old exactly. who basically hasn't spoken to people their whole life so did this go on through high school graduation? Yeah, so I saw him through graduating high school, um, my senior year. So I did graduate early, and that September, um, I was in the hospital for like a couple days, which I kind of alluded to before with people not understanding like suicidal ideation versus um, it being like an active threat. So I had went to someone to talk about medication. Um, I had just been seeing that therapist for yeah around like three years at that point and was pretty much doing the same but had a place to talk about music every week <laughs> um but was mentally yeah but mentally was pretty much doing the same so he wasn't like anti-medication but he certainly wasn't like it's the first response um oh, yeah. which is also how i personally align so at that point it was like okay well it's been actual years we probably could have explored this earlier if you wanted to but if you want to explore it you know like maybe that's worthwhile so he got me an appointment with a nurse practitioner and I went in and talked to her and like filled out all the scales of suicidal stuff. Fun. Paperwork, yeah, really fun paperwork. <laughs> and apparently something I put on that paperwork like tipped me over into the like it's an emergency. Like it was a red flag. Yeah, which I didn't feel unsafe. I mean, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts again, like that wasn't unfamiliar to me, but I wasn't like, I didn't have plans, I wasn't like trying to act out on it, I wasn't thinking I was going to in a month or something, like there was nothing in, you know. You were just trying that. to be honest. I was just trying to be honest, exactly. But yeah, something tipped it off. And she basically, she was really sweet, but um, basically, like, she came in and was talking about the paperwork with me and then was like, I'm really sorry. Like, she actually apologized. She's like, I'm really sorry, but with what you've told me, like, I'm going to have to ask you to go to the hospital or oh I'll have God. to get a police escort to take you. What? And I was like, what? And I just turned 18. So I'm thinking, oh, crap. Like, I'm going to be in an adult ward. I'm going to be in there forever. Like, I'm just like, oh, no. Like, everything is bad. And earlier that year, that because that was September, that February... I had gone to the ER feeling very unsafe and had a really bad experience. Wasn't admitted, um, but had a really uh, was bad this experience. Suicidal thoughts again. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. 
Um, and definitely was not feeling like it was just passive. I was feeling more like I wasn't actually acting on it, but felt like I was very close to it. So yeah. I had wank. That's what I heard you do. So I already had that experience earlier that year. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to go back and it's going to be awful. And so I told her like, here's the deal. Like, <laughs> I'm going to comply. That's the best thing to do. But also like I had such a bad experience and I don't want it. Like there's only one psychiatric hospital in like my city. So it's like, you can't go to some other place and be like, that place will be better. It's like, there's one hospital that has a psychiatric ward. So my mom actually had to take me to this appointment anyway. So my mom and I drove, they had called ahead. And so I like the head of the psych triage, like talked to me, um, who was like really nice, um, and made it as smooth as possible. But I definitely was just thinking, like, I have to comply. Like, I can't really get out of it. And I can't say, like, no, you don't understand. Or, like, make some big thing out of it. So even though you were 18, you couldn't do anything about it? Like, she had, she was going like to call the cops if you refused? Yeah. That's so fucked up. Yeah. So it was definitely, like, feeling like I'm very trapped now. Like, I have no choice. And, again, feeling like, well, it's going to be better if it's voluntary. It's not going to yeah. be good if I cause a ruckus or, like, fight them on it. Not physically, but that would also be very bad. Um, Think but... of the street cred you get there <laughs> on the psych ward. <laughs> I fucked the psych triage. Yeah, no, I want to avoid that. So it was very nice and, like, probably the most polite I've ever been in my life in a situation that I did not want to be polite in. And so, yeah, I was admitted, and uh, it was a Friday, like, mid-afternoon evening, so the psychiatrist was out all weekend, so I basically just sat around Friday, Saturday, Sunday, waiting for him to show up on Monday. Talked to him Monday for, you know, like, ten minutes, maybe. <laughs> um, he asked me what I would like to be started on if I wanted to start medication, because that was the whole point. Gonna get something out of this deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he actually asked me, like, is there something you would like to try? <laughs> Which I was like, that's an interesting thing. Like, would you ask someone that normally? Like, in other medical situations? Not really. Probably not. Like, which heart medication do you want? Which ones do your <laughs> friends take? Like, which one is your favorite? Like, I don't know. And so I heard about one medication that one of my friends had taken, and I was like that one he's like okay like it legitimately was that simple which unfortunately i'm like there is kind of a degree of that if you are doing medication there's a lot of trial and error they're not probably yeah it's a guessing game yeah no one's gonna say like this is the one that i know is for you so that's kind of where he was coming from with that but it felt a little weird (laughs) that he was so um maybe open about that he didn't really know so i like left basically the end of that day so i was basically just there just waiting for him to show up basically yeah so that was the september after you graduated yeah where was there to go after that i didn't know what i was really doing i was working um full-time i started working when i was 16 i was in college classes also so i was full-time in college classes when i was a junior in high school so when i was 15 (laughs) it's really common here it's like a program that you can you can either dual enroll or you can just full-on enroll in the community colleges that's really cool so you're just taking like core classes and stuff Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can get your two-year, like, general ed stuff done if you do it right, so to speak, nice. um, which I didn't. I was very close, but I didn't quite get it all done. But it allowed me to work, so I was working part-time, and then once I started to graduate early, then I just kind of switched over to full-time. So at that point, I was working full-time and didn't really know what I was doing. So after I got out of the hospital, I had this weird thing where everyone thought I was better and everyone thought all my problems were gone. Because you had a magic pill. Because I had a magic pill (laughs) and I had this magical experience where I was like, yeah, in the hospital, which that makes everyone better. You go to the hospital, you come out, you're better. 
Obviously. So it was very weird because I was not better at all. And I had, I think, maybe even more suicidal thoughts than when I went in. But I felt like I could slide under the radar. And it was very unhealthy. So I spent a few months just being uber unhealthy and kind of reveling in the fact that I was kind of invisible. Like everyone just was like, oh, yay, like you're great now, you know? And yeah. being like, yeah, I am. And just like full self-destruction. My inpatient experience is identical. Yeah. It's especially if you go in when you're really young. I think people kind of have the mindset that it's just a phase and they don't realize that this might be something chronic. Yeah, it's very nice. much. Yeah, very much. It was very weird. And I mean, my work was so supportive and lovely to me. It's like a um, local small business that actually friends of mine own now. But I mean, like my coworkers, I knew really well. And they, you know, they like, you know, gave me cards and they were like all supportive. They all, yeah. they were all very well-intentioned people who just kind of were like, you're better now. And yeah, I was like, people just don't yeah. know any better. Yeah. So basically by the end of that year, I was like, something needs to shift. And then I ended up going to beauty school, which was oh. a weird, a weird, um, Why know. beauty school? So, I wish I knew the exact reason. I remember this phase, by the way. You, yeah. Your hair was always amazing. <laughs> I had every color hair possible, <laughs> pretty much, which is definitely the beauty school way. Before I was kind of plummeting into despair, I was always very academic and always very much like, I want to go like pre-med or pre-dental, like I want to major in biology and just be in school for 20 years. Yes, <laughs> people do. Yeah, you know, so I kind of had that in, my, in the back of my mind, and then the more and more that my mental health kind of like took over, the more and more I was like, that's definitely not happening. And I always really loved the idea of beauty school. And I always like did people's hair for dances or, you know, whatever, like that kind of thing. And so it was like, well, I'm not going to go major in biology. And I also really love this other thing. So like, maybe I should just do that. So I just literally was like, we're going to sign up. We're going to just go for it. If I can do it. it. Yeah. So it was a whole year. Um, like, nine to five 40 hour a week beauty school um like 52 weeks straight like no break just like january to december just ran through it and at first it was really great kind of like how when i found the internet the first time i was like everything's wonderful and then my problem still existed my class was really small we only had nine people in like my incoming class so we all got really close and we all were very much like we're gonna change the school because it was kind of negative kind of catty kind of what people would probably expect in beauty school yeah um and we were all so positive and so like not drama and we're like we're gonna change it yeah very extra in the positivity (laughs) department and yeah i went through that whole entire program didn't miss one day had perfect attendance the whole time so i had two free days off that i had like saved up or something i don't know how i had them and both times it was for therapy appointments because <laughs> wow. at this point I wasn't going to therapy and um, I was kind of in contact still with my old therapist every once in a while and so he would like fit me in if I could come in but it was like every couple months because I just couldn't make it work with the schedule right. I was there nine to five but you continued to need it at yes the same time. very much so and probably even more so with all the busy schedule yeah for sure yeah I did really well I had like got all the awards and was very overachievery were you still like suicidal at the time it got back to that point um I feel like it's one of those things that my brain is just has those thoughts and like they certainly get better and worse but I don't think they're disappearing in terms of like long term in my life I don't think they're ever just gonna like not be there yeah. at some point especially because it happened so young like the thoughts start happening so young I think developmentally they're kind of like 
in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're a lot easier to combat, a lot easier to kind of notice and negate now as when I was younger. But, but yeah, they definitely still exist. So I kind of, throughout the whole experience, was doing okay, kind of ish, kind of ish. Was very focused on being better um, for the school, for myself, right. for everything. Had this very intense go get em kind of surge of whatever. And yeah, that really does only last for so long if you I mean, keep sounds, ignoring your problems. <laughs> it sounds like a really positive time in your life overall. I feel like it really was. I mean, I met a lot of really cool people and like had really good instructors and like felt supported for the most part. It's kind of like a job. Like once you're on the floor taking clients, like you're basically working. Well, yeah. And the goal is also to for it to be a job. Yeah. So I graduated from that and went and got my license, did like the state licensing exam um, worked in a salon for about six months and basically was like, yeah, I don't think this is actually at all what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> don't you love it when that happens? Yeah. <laughs> you invest like year, months and years into something and then you're like, wait a second. Never mind. Yeah. So I, I left. I basically, while I was in beauty school, the very end of being in beauty school, um, I had like this mystical dream. <laughs> All right, I love it. Yep, take it, take it how you will. Had this <laughs> mystical dream and was like, oh, I want to be a Christian. So okay. Anyway, that became a thing in a very casual way. I mean, I was working in a salon and was like, oh, church. This is a new thing I've never engaged in, and just normal, middle of the road kind of Christianity. Um, met some really cool people, and while I was working in the salon, was more and more kind of like involved with that, like serving, like helping out with kids ministry or like helping out with whatever chairs stacking things just feeling like oh community this is so different and so nice and then I was like I want to go to bible school (laughs) natural progression again Again, natural very natural I I feel like you just like to jump into things like all or nothing yeah oh I'm very (laughs) very much like if you're gonna do it you're gonna do it all the way for sure so by the end of that year I went down to bible college in southern california Oh my god. And basically say definite money to go for a semester. It's not accredited. It's actually accredited now. Um, but at the time it but wasn't. But at the time it wasn't. So it very much was kind of like an extended Christian camp. <laughs> kind right. of. Like it was like, come and like, you can have a two-year degree here, but it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> or Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, I don't want to be here there for two years. I just want to go for a second and like figure it out and yeah. maybe I'll go longer. I don't know. So jumped in full force to that, went for a semester, uh, the semester was over, and then summer was upon me, I didn't know what I was doing, and I went to this conference that a friend of mine um, from back home in Washington had posted about on Facebook, um, she was living down in California as well, they were throwing this conference, I went to this conference um, where they announced they were doing this summer training school thing, and it was all like Christian whatever, but it also was, um, there was like different tracks essentially for the school. So they had like a media track that was all focused around photography. And at this point I still was doing a lot of photography and I basically was like, that's the thing. Like I will do that this summer. Cause I very much was like, what am I doing this summer? Right. I don't know. So I joined in with that again, like natural progressions had, um, kind of the experiences again of having the short-lived utopia of like this thing is so nice but then being like you still have never processed any of your issues (laughs) and they came back basically quickly I ended up living in that community for like six months which turned out to like basically be a cult um 
won't mention names. I have a lot of experience with that as well. Growing up with Christians my whole life, like I know mental illness can be a really sensitive topic. So mm-hmm. tell, did you tell them first of all? I didn't tell them first off because okay. it seemed irrelevant, which is laughable. <laughs> Look, thinking about that, I'm like, that's funny that I thought it was irrelevant to this main part of my life. Like, didn't matter suddenly because I was like having fun. Um, but yeah, it felt like I was doing better. Like I really was. I had been in therapy for a good number of years, had developed a lot more tools, um, had more people around me, wasn't so isolated. So there were a lot of positive steps forward in terms of like recovery and maintaining kind of a level of stability, you know, like going into it. I was like, why would I, oh, back in the day, like it seemed like it was this distant thing, even though it was so very recent. I used to have depression. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of one of those things where I was like, I used to have this, yeah, I used to have this problem, but not really. Or like, I kind of struggle. And then, yeah, in Christianity, it's looked upon highly to have that kind of story of like, that used to be me. Now it's not like very testimony type stuff. So it did kind of feel that way. I didn't feel pressured for people to, you know, to be like, that's the old you or whatever. But there was that language happening yeah. around me a lot. So I kind of like was like, sure, okay. You know, like the group I was with was like hyper charismatic. But thankfully, they didn't have the like every mental illness is a demon thinking, which is super helpful. They certainly had some things or demons thoughts or a lot of things or demon or demonic or whatever. Yeah. But um they didn't put that on me, which I am very, at this point, I'm like, that Thank was one nice that, thing, one nice thing about how that ended up. So you were there for six months. Yeah. And struggling the whole time. Pretty much struggling the whole time. Maybe like the first month was, you know, while I was kind of adjusting and moving in. And I mean, I lived in a house with 24 people. Oh my God. <laughs> interns, uh, 24 people, unpaid interns who are paying to be there. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I had three people in my room, so my room was the least populated, but it was a very small room with no closet, so that was fun with a bunch of girls. Like This keeps getting better and better. Oh, yeah. It was quite, quite a time. Basically, probably about three months in, I was like, oh, boy. Like, everything that I'm pretending doesn't affect me is, like, definitely still there, and it's definitely not even kind of there it's like very there and like the same feelings of like being trapped and having all this despair and having all this hopelessness and like uh thoughts of self-harm which I hadn't done in quite a long time like all that stuff just was like louder and louder and louder and more and more appealing and more and more like the tools I had learned weren't really cutting it they weren't like bringing it down really at all and I had talked to a couple leaders and they were really receptive and really um, supportive about me trying to find a therapist while I was there. And like, it seemed like everything was going to be fine. And long story short, it wasn't. Um, Shocker. Yeah, exactly. As I progressively was struggling, um, I think they all kind of freaked out and didn't know what to do. I was kind of just shutting down a lot more and wasn't able to engage in the same way. And they kind of also kind of deemed me to be like not safe Hmm. even though I certainly didn't feel like just 100% like obviously but I didn't feel actively suicidal either and I felt like if that was at any point going to come up I was in a place that was supportive and loving and I would have told someone like I wasn't going to go secret run off and do something it was like I live with 24 people I'm just going to tell one of them you know like it really did feel that way for the maybe one of the first times that I had that like access so I was staying at one of the other houses for a couple days. I think maybe the second day I was there, I had a panic attack in one of the girls' rooms. And she knew, we knew everything. Like, she knew what was going on. 
and she called all the like leader leaders. So she dug behind your back. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes, and then four middle aged dudes, you know, just come into the room that I'm just coming back to myself. Like just had a panic attack. Oh my you know, God. feel very vulnerable and afraid, and I'm just sitting up against a wall, like knees to my chest, just like breathing, getting back, calming down, whatever. Um, and then they all just come in and I keep looking at the door and I'm thinking, I can't get out of here. And if I did, it would be bad. Like if I tried to like run out of that door, this is going to be like a police chase. Like it's going to be really bad. So there was a lot of things said (laughs) that were very hurtful. A lot of things done that were very hurtful. And at the end of this short ish conversation, one of them basically came up to me very condescendingly and said something like, would you agree to come to the hospital with us? At this point, I'm like, well, basically, (laughs) this is very manipulative. If you're actually safe, you don't need to be in the hospital. Hello. So you're just saying you are, but they don't believe you, but then... But yeah, so I know, well, I have to comply. Again, this is kind of like a rerun of what's happened before, but in a really weird way. But um, they drive me to the hospital. Also note, they all come with me. So we're in a normal, like, two, you know, four-door car sedan. you you know... Escape. I don't know, literally. I'm surprised they didn't make me sit in the middle because that would have been like next level, but they were pretty much there. But so there's just four of these dudes. Not related to you in any way. Not related to me. Just driving me to the hospital and then me in the backseat with the other two of them just like squished thinking like, oh shit, like, oh golly, everything is bad. Like so everything what is happened then? bad. So I get to the hospital and I think, well, you have to comply. So, you know, they ask you like, why are you here? And I'm filling out paperwork and I'm like... Suicidal thoughts? Question mark. I'm like, I'm here because they made me come, but I feel fine. I, again, I don't feel 100%. I'm not going to say that I was just floating on a cloud because I was not. feels 100%? Also that. Yeah. You know, but I, I yeah. don't know. So yeah. many feelings. I was not unsafe, basically. Like, yeah. And again, I had told them, you know, like, hey, like, if at any point I do feel unsafe, you will know. I will tell you. Like, there is not this aspect of me being isolated in my despair anymore. I'm with people. I'm with the community. Everyone loves me. Blah, blah, blah. Everything's positive. Why would I actually want to die? So went to the hospital. At this point, it, of course, too, I'm like, I've been in this rodeo before. It was probably like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, well, there's not going to be a psych, a psych triage because yeah. it's the night and they don't need to be there because it's not like someone's heart is bleeding or something <laughs> medical. In that regard, it's not emergent. Um, you can be on a watch overnight when, you know, another psych will come over in the morning. So that's what happened. So I was on watch basically just all night. You know, they Ugh. follow you to the bathroom, stand in the toilet with you, yep. you know, while you're peeing and you're just like, hey. Um, <laughs> And my room was right by the nurse's station, and I had glass doors and, you know, all the things to, like, make sure they could see me. Oh, my God. And I stayed up all night because I was like, I am so scared to go to sleep because I was afraid they were going to tell them something. Like, I feel like I had to, like, look out for everything, like, the people who had come with me. I was like, they're going to lie or they're going to say something that's going to, like, imprison me, you know? Like, it was just so gnarly. So, wait, so this was only a month after you started this? No, no, no. So, this was five. It was, like, at the end of, Okay, at the end. Yeah, this is the very end. I was going to say, how can you go after this and, like, (laughs) living with these people? Yeah, this was the very end. Yeah, this was, like, the, like, okay, bye. That's even more fucked up, though, that you were there and you, like, living with them and being friends with them and then something like this could happen. 
Yeah, I mean, like, they, like, knew me, quote-unquote, Yeah, you know? And there was a lot of, I mean, culty kind of brainwash type of stuff of just saying a lot of the same things over and over and a lot of the, like, we're your family, we fight for you, we're your family, we fight for you, we're your oh. family. Just a lot of that kind of, like, you're not alone, you are a family, we are here, like, constantly oh, being berated with it. So much huddle chants, family, you know, like, <laughs> put your hands in, like, just so much of it to the point where... You just start feeling crazy because you're being gaslit. And um, they throw you in the hospital. Yeah. And you're like, your will, you're like, great, wonderful. So you were there for just one night? Just overnight. Yeah. And wait for the psych. Out of there. You wait for the psych triage. Mr. Nice Man in the Sweater who comes by says, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, honestly, it's fine. I'm not doing great, but I'm not suicidal. I'm not unsafe. I'm in this community, which also, gosh, how to try to explain that to a hospital. Like, I live with 24 people. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, are you in a goal? And I'm like, well, yeah. Um, but <laughs> they actually didn't Casual. ask me that. But it, if they did, I probably would have been like, no, of course not. Like, I'm just living life. You know, just told them all the things, which were true. Like, I'm not unsafe. I'm having a hard time trying to find a therapist down here. You know, I think they were scared. The people who brought me, basically, were scared and didn't know what to do. And so that's kind of what's happening. And it's just like, great, well, you know, here's your discharge. And, yeah. like, see you later. Bye, good luck. So, you know, got, like, a $3,000 bill for that nice, hot, like, Oh, my God, that's night. the most cringy part of all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically, me leaving this community ended with the day after I got out of the hospital, all the leaders, like, met with me and basically just kind of continued down the line of like we don't trust you still and we're kind of alluding to like me not being welcome to like stay you think (laughs) yeah and so then I was we were about to like leave our conversation and I stand up and I look at one of the guys who kind of the whole time just like wouldn't say it out loud that he was like you can't stay here and so I just looked at him and I was like so let me get this straight I'm not welcome to stay and he said yes Oh and I said, God. great. So I walked home. I started packing up my stuff. I also, they made me give me numbers to my mom and my dad. So I'm like, oh, again, like, oh, shit. They're about to, like, ruin my entire life. So I'm calling my mom and dad frantically and being like, don't believe them. I don't know what they're going to tell you about me or oh, the situation. Shit. Let me tell you what actually happened. And they're going to give you a call. So, like, again, they could be nice. They could... I don't know what they're going to say. So, I'm just, like, so scared. I'm, no, like, legitimately... valid. I'm glad you called terrified. them. Terrified. I call them. I call my old therapist. I'm like, you haven't heard from me in six months. Hey, this is a weird conversation I'm about to have with you. And, like, left him this voicemail that was, like... I'm, like, packing up all my stuff and thinking, like, I was already <laughs> about to leave for, like, kind of Christmas time anyway. And... The ne- and I'm thinking, like, I don't want to leave. I'm very much in it still. Very much in the, like, but this is my family. And, like, yeah, I did something wrong. You're brainwashed. Yeah, very brainwashed. And thought, I'll just leave and come back. And they'll, like, take me back and they'll forgive me because I did something oh wrong. God. Like, I thought that for a long time. After I left, I thought that for a very long time. I was so upset that I had to leave and also was incredibly stressed out. Again, I was trying to call, like, everyone that I know to try to get, like, a good rapport built up uh, who I was exhausting it was so awful and it was outside my house because like they're gonna hear me like I was like out in the street and um the next day we were at someone's house doing this dinner and um one of the main leaders 
was, I went up to him and was just like, hey, like, I just want to tell you, like, I really don't want to leave. I know that so-and-so said that, like, I need to get out, but, like, I really just, like, I don't feel like I need to leave right now. Like, one of the main points was they feel like they couldn't watch me. So they're like, we can't keep track of you. So he told me, we never told you that. Oh, my God. Gag me. The gaslighting. That was, I think, the most overt to my face. Like, you, it's less than 24 hours ago you told me I wasn't welcome and now you're telling me we never told you that. And I'm like, SOS, SOS. Yeah. So at that point I was like, well, I have a flight at the end of the week. So I left for about two or three months was just like, I did something wrong. I didn't tell them up front about these problems. It's all your fault. It's all my fault. It's going to be fine. They're going to forgive me. Everything's going to be great. And then my mom got diagnosed with terminal cancer. Shit. And the feeling of her dying very imminently was like a very big wake up call. So that's another thing I wanted to talk about today because yeah. I know it's been on like a huge event in your life mm-hmm. and you've been very open about dealing with it on social media. Yeah. So that happened right after all this other shit was going down. It's like you can't get a break. No, very much, very much not at all. So I had moved up there when I left this community because I really had nowhere to go. Plus, right. I mean, she has extra room in her house, you know, whatever. So I kind of was like, you know, suitcase living up there and then moved into a room that my sister and her boyfriend had. And I was like, I'm just gonna live with them. Still in Northern California, about an hour from where my mom was living. It was very temporary, like me moving in with them. Like, well, whenever you want to move out, you can move out. We'll find another roommate. You know, it was like really relaxed and they were just really right. gracious about my whole situation and how like chaotic it was. And then, yeah, she got diagnosed. And then, of course, everything changed very quickly. I can imagine. And, I mean, I had many, many, many wake-up calls over the next, like, a few months of her deteriorating. But um, that was the first, like, oh, like, that community did something very wrong. That was not me. And then it was, like, just going back and forth, like, almost on the daily of just being like, no, it was my fault. No, it was their fault. No, it was my fault. No, it was their fault. And, of course, not that simple, but. Sucks to have to go through that, those mental gymnastics. Yeah. And just feeling very confused. All the gaslighting was very intense. And so just feeling like I couldn't trust my perceptions, feeling like I couldn't trust what I remembered, feeling I couldn't trust what they had said or not said. And I had wrote so much of it down, like just for the sake of having like a record. I think because I was so scared when I was leaving that everything was going to be used against me and they were going to like ambush me or something. Like it was very scary. So I was trying to keep like a ledger of everything. Which is a good idea. Yeah. In that situation, I mean, if you're escaping a cult, yeah. (laughs) Keep a ledger. (laughs) Keep a ledger. Um, I don't even know what else, but keep a ledger. So the like imminent grief. I mean, when you know someone's dying, you're grieving the whole time. Which, I don't know what's really better, you know, like, having someone die in a car accident or having watching someone die nine months. It's both terrible. There's yeah. no, like, ideal to that. But it's very weird grieving someone who's alive still, but knowing, like, they're not going to survive. Like, there was no chance, like, at all. I mean, mm, they... That sucks, like, on so many levels, but it's... I, I would imagine it would be harder to, like, live in the moment with them. Mm-hmm. And they must obviously feel the effects of that too yeah like it must be hard for them like yeah and my mom was very uh like everyone else first and very much like just all about all the time so 
trying to get a gauge on what she actually needed or not needed was like impossible because she wouldn't even really tell you and so a lot of her friends you know I think were maybe she has a lot of like had a lot of really close friends um from high school they all had stayed together for so many years but a lot of them I think like pushed her way too hard like throughout her sickness um like doing stuff or going out or you know Mm. whatever and she very much just put everyone first and everyone like they would like to be with me you know and my sister made a really good point about this recently about like most of her friends pretty much were like very very in denial and very very like actively trying to enforce their denial oh yeah so they've been with her since high school that i can't even imagine yeah watching someone grow up and then watching someone die and like yeah i I just can't can't imagine at all it's a lot of years to like be close to people and And i can also empathize with your mom like wanting to do everything for Mm -hmm. everyone yeah. Because you know you don't have a lot of time left. Yeah. And so you want to, you know, do everything. Mm-hmm. But and you she physically was... can't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She definitely, I mean, of course, at first, you know, she could. But then it got to the point where it was like, oh, yeah, like, she definitely can't. And the ramifications of her pushing herself too hard, you know, just, like, being so sick and in so much pain, you know, for the next two days, you know, things like that, where it's like, we need to, like, all just, like, know that this is happening and we need to not be pushing it. But, yeah, a lot of her friends were kind of pushing it maybe well definitely more than they should have been so I was yeah in northern California I got an opportunity to move back down to southern California and this is my actual thought process of this was I can go back to southern California I'll be close to this community that I was a part of and they will care about me now because my mom's dying so yeah again brainwash and I was like, they'll care about me because I'll be close to them. So I waited a little bit and, like, talked to my mom about it. At this point, she was still, like, up and about, but um, had just been admitted. She had, like, some, like, blood clotting issues, like, related to chemo. Um, so she was in the hospital for just, like, a week or so and then, you know, was out. But she was, like, very conscious, wasn't, like, on all the medications and stuff that, that she was on at the end that kind of just knocked her out. And we, like, had a conversation about it. And I was so, like, I don't want to leave, but also I think I need to leave. Oh my god. So, um, I know you talked about your relationship when you were a kid, how you couldn't really talk to her about this kind of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. as an adult, did that change? And especially, like, in light of her diagnosis? Yeah, I think it got a little better. I did live with her just, like, here and there, kind of little bits, like, transitioning before I went to Bible school. I lived with her for a couple weeks. At this point, also, like, she was always, like, very Christian. And so, since I was christian-ish at that point was much more christian um i think she also felt like now we have this thing in common Mm. and so her not like her opinion of me but how she interacted with me was definitely different and i think she started listening a lot more to what i was trying to articulate if i was trying to explain to her where i didn't feel heard or how i felt hurt um it wasn't the kind of same responses that I got when I was younger so she was being really dismissed yeah so she was really trying it was very not familiar to her to like kind of meet people in those places and to not do the loving dismissal but to do the like I'm in it with you and I'm believing what you're saying and I'm not yeah trying to like talk you out of it or give you some kind of nice way to think about it it's just bad and like that's yeah so what was her reaction when you said you wanted to go back to southern california I mean, at this point, because again, being so in it and being so like brainwashy, her only opinion of that whole experience was that it was super positive because I like, I told her, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. So I told her about the whole experience, like in general, but I also at that point had such an opinion of it being my fault. 
and just being like, I didn't tell them up front, you know, blah, 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 all the excuses. So yeah. it wasn't like how I look at it now where I go, oh, I was like gaslit and abused for six months straight and right. like couldn't actually handle it anymore. And left you know like and so she thought it was a positive thing that you were going back yes so to her it was like that's amazing you know it's like what a beautiful gift you have this community this is all i've ever wanted for you you're in this christian community you know like very much you know like like that and so she like was like yeah go like go you know do what you need to do come back when you want to come back you know like at this point we were a few yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so I didn't move back to the community because the house that I had found with a friend that actually was living up here um, where I grew up, um, she also was planning on moving down for another thing that was nearby for a job, basically. So yeah, I moved down and I didn't really do anything. <laughs> I was incredibly depressed, um, waiting for my mom to die, understandably. And then there's definitely an underlayer of kind of coming to terms with this whole community and what they right. did, but then also going like, no, 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 I can't lose that even if it's just like the idea of it like I can't lose something else right now so that was like a fight I had in my head a lot was like would I rather have no community or community that has at this point I wasn't calling it abuse or really trauma at all but basically would I rather have no community or community that abuses me and I said I'll rather have a community that abuses me because I was so like I can't lose something else like yeah. I, there's no way like I can't I think this it. happens to a lot of people who are in re- abusive relationships. Yeah. Like it's people don't realize this is the better choice. Not the better choice, but it's like it's it seems healthy at the time. Yeah. So I lived down there for only like a total of about six months. Okay. I lived there, was still in contact with my great aunt. She was the only people who kind of kept in contact with me. And I was kind of always waiting to go back up there and like see her basically die. Um, but didn't really know when and how and all the things. And my sister had moved in with her and was basically taking care of her. My grandma was as well. So she, once she went on hospice, she was like at home. Uh, she had gotten married, remarried the year before. So I also had like my stepdad. So they had this house that they were living in and yeah, my sister and my grandma basically were taking care of her. So they had a community there. Of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Of sorts for sure. Um, maybe more, <laughs> maybe in my sister's opinion, probably more people around that she would have liked. Cause again, a lot of her friends that were very well intentioned, but you know, we're grieving and yeah. it comes out in kind of nasty ways a lot of times. And yeah, I waited and waited and was down in Southern California and honestly did like nothing. I don't even remember those few months. I was like, what was I doing? I don't even remember like watching Netflix, you know? Because oh in my mind, I'm like, I probably was just watching Netflix. Like I was sad and like watching Netflix. I'm also, like, was I? I don't know. You said you were grieving before she died. Like, mm-hmm. do you feel like you did a lot of your grieving there? Is some part of it, I mean, grief is the most confusing thing. I mean, I try to explain it and talk about it a lot, like you kind of mentioned with social media and stuff, but it's so weird. And it's so weird knowing someone's dying. It's so weird after they die, but you've kind of been in it the whole time. Yeah. I just recently talked to my sister about this as well, about how we both, I think, upon her diagnosis, were like, she's dead. Like, we both kind of had the initial, like, oh, that's wow. it. Like, we kind of started that, like, right away. Whereas a lot of her friends, like, they were not that way. A lot of people around us, they were not that way. It was, like, months later or, like, when she died that they actually, like, really started grieving. When, how long after the diagnosis did she die? I think about eight months. Oh, my God, that's no time at all. Yeah, no, it was pretty quick. And they gave her around, I think, like, eight to 12, you know, was kind of what they were expecting. So it was kind of just, like, right in there. So you had to just 
start planning like right away. Pretty much. Yeah. It's a really rough situation to be in too as a child. Essentially. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. And yeah, not knowing I mean, yeah, what a weird thing to navigate and have no context. How do people do this? What am I how is the right way? What's like what am I which me leaving, I mean, I still have guilt about that, but I mean it's fluctuates. But I mean, so obviously now you are able to describe that experience as abuse. Do you feel like leaving the second time was necessary for you to come to that point? Oh yeah. Yeah, so I mean it was necessary. Yeah. The, I mean, the like the final, final, final straw with them was I was basically waiting for my mom to die. At this point, everyone was like, it's very imminent. And I had texted in the group message. I still had like the group me for that whole community. Like I still was a part of it because they never like took me out of it. Oh, <laughs> they did. Group me so they did much. soon. I know. Luckily, oh. I have no more group me's. Thank you. Good. We are all blessed now. No more group me. But um, <laughs> I was still in the group me. And so I kind of, like, put a message in it and was like, hey, like, sorry to be a downer. Like, I know you all know my mom is sick, but, like, she's about to die. Like, can you just, like, pray or, like, whatever, you I know. I you're apologizing for that. <laughs> I know. I think mean, classic, though. I feel like I felt like such a nuisance and such a terrible person all the time. So I put that in the group. And then I got a call from one of the guys. We had no idea, which also, what? But anyway. Sounds like they did. Oh, yes, they did. Um, but we had no idea it was this bad. And I was just praying with my mom and blah, blah, blah. We want you to come over here and we can just, like, love on you for a few days. No. No. Yeah. So I was like, okay. No. Yes. I know. <laughs> it's like a horror movie. <laughs> I'm oh like, of God. course I will go back. So I mean, while like, she's over there dying. Yeah. And you're just, oh my God. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's grimy. Um, so I was like, well, how do I get there? Cause I'm an hour away. I don't have a car. I'm an hour in a car, you know? And I was yeah. like, I can't, how do I get there? I can't spend a hundred dollars on a lift just to get over there. But I was considering it. So eventually when my roommates who also didn't have a car, we borrowed our housemate's car. We drove down over, you know, I basically wasn't acknowledged. <laughs> so yeah, I, they, he like legitimately was like, can we get you to come here? Like, was so adamant. Like, come here. We just want to, like, love on you and pray for you. And, like, oh. family time, you know? Like, the language is just making me cry. Yeah, no, it's real. So it's familiar. It's, yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, so, yeah, I found a way. Got over there. It was basically ignored. And so I was like, well, it's fine because tomorrow's Monday. And Monday is when we have our meeting. Um, I wasn't acknowledged. I wasn't, it's like I wasn't even there. And I had been in, you know, months and months and months of Monday morning meetings where people would come through the community who used to be a part of it or affiliated. And it was always like, so-and-so's here, you know, oh my God. wasn't acknowledged. At the very end, when everyone was like packing up, one of the guys who used to be on the media team with me was like, Ellen Madison's here. And like tried to like rally the, oh, you know, no. and I was like, Thanks. Oh gosh, this is uncomfortable. So I just like I went down. There we were, all, were really close to the beach, so I went down to the beach and just like hung out basically, and was waiting for everyone to love on me. Right, <laughs> as promised. As promised, right. <laughs> and so that night, like Monday nights, were our like worship night. It's basically like a house church for the yeah. whole community. So I was like, well, then it'll be there, you know. So I kept just playing that it'll be then. Went to that. Still wasn't really acknowledged. It was really awkward and people were really weird about everything. And I ended up staying for, I want to say three nights. Oh my God. Fully convinced at some point someone was going to notice or say something. And I had, at one point I was eating some food in one of the kitchens 
and one of the girls was like asking me about what I was doing, like why I was there, not in a bad way, but just you know, yeah. like what are you like what are you up to, you know? And and I was like, well, you know, so and so said like this was gonna happen, and like I just like I don't know. And she's like, do you want me to say something to him? And I was like, I think it's fine. Like, Ugh. and I just like packed up my stuff and I just she's left. Like so I sad. I forgot how I even got home, but that was it. I was like, yep, this is the end of of the thing of being like. Months and months and months of people promising me things. The yeah. amount of things that I, like, texts that I got after I put that in the group message. People messaging me. People saying, I'm coming to come see you tomorrow. Blah, like. It's so easy to spew words out there, though. Like, yeah. And I had not one person fall through with oh anything God. in a community of about, like, 50 people. Probably 20 of which were very adamant about, like, doing certain things, helping with certain things, coming to see me, doing whatever. Not one person one time fall through with any of it. Yeah, at least you knew. At that point, nice. I was like, okay, cool. This Bye. is awful. Like, this is an awful place where people are awful. On the most, you know, benign level, you all just have terrible follow-through and are not kind to each other. And on the least benign level, you're gaslighting and abusing people. Yeah. And that both sides of that is bad, so goodbye. <laughs> oh, my God. So then you went back to Northern California? Yeah, so I, you know, I got back to my house um, and was like, well, that was terrible, and maybe, like, a week later, I was talking to my great aunt, and she was like, yeah, I think, you know, the timing's really up in the air, but I think if you want to see your mom before she dies, you need to come, so I flew out, like, two days later, and then she died a week later, so I was there, I was, like, in the house, I was, I mean, she died overnight, but, um, yeah, I was there when that happened, and then all sorts of things happened after that, but, yeah, that's that's been three years, and it's been, like, three years of processing through all of the weird spiritual trauma stuff and then lots of trauma related to like her death things related to like around that time and then you know a copious amount of childhood things that I've also put on hold like my entire life um (laughs) there's a lot of things uh, like the faith stuff I am so sorry you went through that and Mm -hmm. to anyone else who's like experienced that kind of abuse it just sucks and I know, like, you, you do, you have salvaged some of that, like, mm-hmm. spirituality now, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Yeah. When I was living down in Southern California, awaiting my mom's death, essentially, I found this podcast, which I think I maybe found right around that time, um, called The Liturgists, and it, like, they have been my people for, like, three years now. Awesome. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot of deconstructed any person like I mean if you have some religious framework you're probably gonna like understand more of what they're talking about but um just really deconstructed mystic atheist agnostic just like just like all sides of everything is kind of included but they all were Christians or are Christians to some extent um at this point and yeah they're like my people so I found like finding that group of internet people again it kind of goes kind of came back to my What's internet it love the liturgists the liturgists awesome. mm-hmm. that's something to check out if yeah you're interested in spirituality religion any of that stuff they have an episode on spiritual trauma as well which cool. like they have warnings for it being triggering but it's uh it's really intense but it is like a very also a relief when you hear it because there is so much like just feeling so crazy with spiritual trauma there's a lot yeah. of gaslighting usually so hearing other people talk about it it's like oh okay i'm not alone it is real oh my gosh like that's horrible i hate that it's real but also oh my gosh it's real so your mom died three years ago, mm-hmm. and you've been through a lot of shit since then. Yeah. And um, <laughs> obviously, you know, mental health is a journey. I don't think anyone's ever going to be fully recovered or, like, yeah. healthy. 
but I, I personally just love watching your journey, like, over the years, and, like, the stuff you post is so inspiring and honest and, like, vulnerable. Yeah. I think it's super important to be able to talk about, like, your low points as well as your victories. Mm. One thing I love that you do is, like, you have these hashtags for, like, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. So every yeah. year you have like a different hashtag, like a theme for the whole year, like a goal. Mm-hmm. Would you call it a goal or like? I, a theme? So, I don't know. I don't know. Actually. I wanted to talk about this because this yeah. episode will come out on New Year's, yeah. which is so beautiful. Like, I don't know. I, I love that you approach life with like new beginnings. Can you talk a little bit about those hashtags and like yeah. what they mean to you? Yeah. I don't exactly know what initially started it I mean I've done it for I think the last four or five years like pretty much since I joined Instagram I don't know if maybe it was like an artifact from Tumblr of like tagging things and then being able to like keep track because like with Tumblr you could have you know on your own blog have certain tags and then you could go to your blog and find those tags and like yeah you know have some sort of organization to it which was kind of fun um, so I don't know if it was maybe an artifact of that subconsciously of like, I want to have a thing that's like all one thing so that I can click on it at the end of the year or, you know, in retrospect and be like, oh, here's my whole year. I'm not sure if that's what the goal was originally. Like, like a log or like yeah. a ledger. Yeah. And I don't use hashtags, you know, in the kind of way that a lot of people use hashtags, like in the businessy way where you're right. trying to get followers and you have the block of hashtags, you know, I'm trying, my little sister is like with me right now, helping me like with the podcast and like the last post I posted, she made me post all these hashtags <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, are you sure this is, people do this? She was like, yes. Oh, they she was just do. typing, like finding all the hashtags. I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. <laughs> it's very, very real. It's like definitely a thing. So I usually don't hashtag anything else except for my hashtag for the year. Year, and it's always year of blank blank um it's always been an alliteration again so what was the first one if you oh, can remember gosh or the most recent one um well this year surpassing survival last year was lovely loss i don't remember what the years before that were i'd have to go back okay. in history <laughs> so so year of you said passing survival surpassing survival. surpassing survival what does that mean this year to you coming out of um, all of that community, all of the grief, all of the kind of compounding stuff. It has been like three years, but in another sense, it's been, it was like yesterday. Of course. Um, like with most things, I think there's just so much that you're uncovering and trying to sort through and figure out. And there's often just a complete inability to even go there. <laughs> so there is a, a large inability for me to even begin to go there for quite a long time. I mean, like after my mom died, I think I, for about a year, I was just, like, real checked out. Like, I was working and doing whatever, but was not really a human being in the sense of doing the work, quote-unquote, you know, like, doing the therapy or whatever. I was just like, I have nothing to offer anyone right now. I mean, if anyone's entitled to that, it would be you. you (laughs) (laughs) At that point, yeah, I needed to zone out. So, yeah, surpassing survival. All of my, like, little alliteration things have kind of just come at the end of the year. Just randomly we'll be walking around and we'll just kind of be like, oh, that's what it is. And then that's what it is. Well, the, you said the the last one was the year of lovely loss. Mm-hmm. So that was last year. That's an interesting yeah. term. And that was all about reformulating what grief was to me. Like what I thought about losing things and what I thought about, I think more importantly, reframing it under the kind of idea that it's not always just bad like it's not like losing things is always bad of course losing things can be very bad 
but I think I lumped everything into just being like, letting go of anything is terrible. So I became really rigid, I think, that year, kind of processing through grief and things, thinking, like, I noticed myself holding on to things so much more and harboring things so much more. And very much of the whole year was more intentional about saying, like, that's not going to work out. <laughs> like, I see what you're doing, me. Like, I see why you're holding on to all the things, like, physical or relationships, like, with friends or, like, just anything. Like, right. I see how scared you are. But, like, let's think about this in a different way. Like, what is good about things that go away? Like, what things... Seeing loss is a good thing. I mean, I didn't know that going into it. It was lovely loss. Okay, whatever. And then, but then the year reflecting on it and going, oh, okay. That's really cool. Like, at the beginning of the year, you kind of give it a name. You don't know what... Yeah. But then, like, as you're reflecting on it throughout the year, you kind of assign it meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of been the way to do it for me, at least. Like, so this new year, I don't have... I have some ideas. I, I was going to ask you. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> I was going to say, like, let me see. I have what I'll probably end up making it. Let's see. Where is it? It's something about connected capacity is kind of the possible one. Connected capacity. Mm-hmm. Or something about maybe even clarity in there. But yeah, again, not exactly even sure what that looks like. And I've tried to even reflect on surpassing survival as it's, you know, almost the exact end of the year as we're speaking. Yeah. Um, and I've got to reflect a little bit on like what that has looked like. And this year has come with a lot of transitions with like therapists, with diagnostic stuff, um, with getting a lot more answers that I've really never had in 10 years of having people try to help me out um and me trying to help myself out so this year has been very interesting in that regard of it's been very paralyzing in a lot of sense mm. um senses but has also been coming to understand and experience something that's just beyond like that numb checked out like i'm just surviving i'm just surviving I'm right getting so now through. you're coming out of survival and into like clarity like focusing on like bringing all that stuff together and realizing yeah. like okay, this is what's happening. Yeah, exactly. That's exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. I think, you. I mean, you probably maybe have seen on social media, I have talked a little bit about that recently, about, like, if you don't have answers, like, I feel that. Like, it's okay. Like, it so sucks to not have answers, and it is disappointing and can feel really awful to just be like, I don't know what I'm doing, and, like, nothing is helping, and it's like... I can say in at least a small way for a small part of my experience, like, there are answers to something somewhere. And I don't know what that looks like for people or when that comes for people, but they exist. <laughs> don't give up trying to find them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If something doesn't, like, fit right with you, if doesn't, something doesn't sit right with you with someone you're getting help from or even just in your own, like, reflection, if something's, like, grinding up against you and you're like, hmm, like, maybe examine that. Like, maybe there's <laughs> something there. Like... I think it's worth exploring, is even though Definitely. it's difficult. Thank you for talking about all this stuff. Like, Yay. I just love that I get to finally meet you and talk about this stuff and yes. like have you on my podcast. It's just like so surreal to me. Yeah. I got an email from a listener about loss. She says, A week ago, I lost my grandfather to cancer slash pneumonia. I have really weird feelings about this because honestly, I'm not sad at all and I feel like I should be. Hmm. My grandpa was a great man, and I'm sure he was super loving to my sister and I at some point, but also he was never very supportive of me. Uh, one of my most prominent memories of him isn't exactly positive. 
I got my bachelor's in fine art, and right before I went to study abroad, I was telling him and my grandma how excited I was to travel to Italy and see the art I'd studied in my art history courses. And his response was really negative. He basically told me that it was pointless for me to go to Italy and see art, and it would be more worthwhile to go see war memorials and things of historical significance. Mm. And she says, um, what? (laughs) Um, In the same breath, he basically told me that I wouldn't go anywhere with my degree. I should go back for six more years to get a real degree instead. Mm. Um, I feel super conflicted because this wasn't the only time he showed little to no support for me and my passions. And that mixed with the fact that his quality of life had been so poor for so long has made it really hard for me to feel any grief. I'm trying to figure out if this is okay or if I should talk to someone about it. Hmm. I know you were kind of, your mom is obviously a really positive person in your life, like especially in the end. And hmm. um, I, But I know you talked about how when she got her diagnosis, you kind of just in your head, like you were grieving right mm-hmm. then. I think it demonstrates that grief is can mean so many different things to so many people like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I feel like there's no right or wrong way to feel grief. You just feel it. Like, you have no say in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would be the main thing. I think, like, the end, I mean, they said something about, like, should I talk to someone or is it okay, essentially? And I'm like, yes, both. (laughs) Like, if you want to talk to someone about it, I think that's great. Everything that comes up when you're grieving should be given space. And that's really hard. I mean, even to give yourself that space is really hard to find that in other people is much more hard um especially depending on where your family's at there was a lot of stuff after my mom died my sister and I still are like that could have gone differently um Mm -hmm. we really weren't given space to grieve at all or think about really anything we kind of had to like clear out our house like instantly and move my sister out like the next day like it was I can't even imagine really messy so if you can give yourself space to feel like release to feel what you do I think there is a lot of relief that comes when people die um depending on the scenario I mean if people are sick or if they're in pain yeah you said his quality of life was really low so yeah there's that degree of just being like oh like they're suffering like they're not suffering now like that's a relief you know and I don't think that should be you know like don't feel guilty about feeling that relieved yeah you know that's the case and even I mean there's so many things that I think that probably people wouldn't want to like own up to because you'd be like oh that's like bad but it's like no like if you have those feelings of like I'm relieved or I can go back to my life like there's so many things that come up that you're like oh that's awful like I should just be sad that they're dead but it's like there's a lot of things that death like how much impact that has or like someone dying how much impact that has and how much when they are dead when they have passed that there are positive things that come out of that that are I think hard to like sit with and feel like you can even feel um but I think yeah especially if you have you know maybe not as positive of experiences with them it's like you can hold all of it at once like it's just never going to be one thing and it's never going to be like it's just all weeping all the time yeah that's not how it is like and thanks for sharing because it's important to talk about these feelings that you might not feel are valid Mm -hmm. but a lot of people can probably relate yeah definitely so thanks for that i hope you guys have a good new year It's my favorite time of year. (laughs) I love it so much. I'm a sucker for like the symbolism and everything. I mentioned this in the last episode. Yeah. Love you guys. And 2019 is going to be infinitely better Mm. than 2018. Yes. I just, it better be (laughs) (laughs) because this year sucked. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Have a great rest of your week and bye.